Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Hey, can I ask you a question? Have you ever had an embarrassing moment? Have you ever had an embarrassing moment? I remember for me, one of the most embarrassing moments I ever had was when I was playing playing Little League Baseball, okay? And what it was is I made the all-star team, and we were traveling, and we went out, and uh, we were practicing in a field, and and, uh, I was playing outfield, and I'll never forget that, you know, because when you're in Little League, you got all your friends, these are all your buds, you're just, again, learning, you know, how to social, to be social, and one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me, I was playing outfield, and I remember they hit the ball, and I can't remember if we were scrimmaging or the coach hit it, but nonetheless, I saw the ball coming, and I realized in a split second that it was going to go over my head. And as the ball went over my head, I realized that I've already hit the warning track. I turn around, and I face-planted right into the fence. Literally just boom. And... um yeah, all my friends were, 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 it was hard to live that down, right? Because then you get this bump on your forehead because you hit the bar right about that time, and, and uh, it was pretty embarrassing. I remember, well, how do you know it's embarrassing? Because I still remember it. You know, I mean, you're just like, you don't live that down. One of the most embarrassing things for a church to hear is actually what was said to the church of Pergamos. You go, what do you mean? Well, remember the church of Ephesus, guys. He says, the Lord says, I have one thing against you. But in Pergamos, the Lord says, I have a few things against you. Pergamos, yes. Embarrassing, yes. But for the church, guys, it was downright devastating. This is very serious not to deal with. Now, you guys, you have your Bibles, Revelation 2. Look at verse 12. Let's read it together, okay? And um, I want want you to highlight it. I want you to mark it up. I want you to see what what we're going to see tonight. It starts in verse 12, and it says, And to the angel of the church at Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things that were sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you, and quickly I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a name that is written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, this is what he writes to the church. 
This is not a letter that a pastor wants to get. Okay? But we got to go back and we got to do some, some, just, let me just, let me just go back, okay? Because remember, anytime we look at this, we're going to look at these, we're going to look at these churches, but here's what I want you to see. There's the first, there's the fourfold application. You need to understand that first and foremost that they have to be applied historically. Okay? You go, what do you mean? There were seven real churches. This is a letter to a real church. Okay? Just like we are church, this is the letter that is written. Number two, they're applied, they're applied practically. You go, what do you mean? They actually teach us about church life. The very church, the very people in the church, this is how it's applied. Number three, they're applied personally. Personally. The letters apply to us individually as believers. And fourth, they're applied prophetically. Why? Because seven is the number of completeness. Okay? So what do you have? Well, all together, guys, okay, when we started in the church of Ephesus all the way to the very end, we're going to see a complete picture of the church age. Okay? It actually starts back where the Lord started and, and built the church. Okay? Remember, each church actually represents a certain stage in church history. Okay? So you have a real church. But you also have a time period in which this church existed, and it gives us church history. Okay? Now, let's review. Okay? Very quickly. What have we learned so far? The first message was to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus. What was the problem with Ephesus? It's the problem that most believers face. They left their first love. You see, they got saved and they were excited and they were in love with Jesus and they would read their Bible, guys, and tears would would just fill and their heart would be filled with joy and compassion and love. And this was, I remember that time. It was so, and all of a sudden, they left their first love. You see, this church was, was doing all kinds of beautiful things. They were reaching out. They had missionaries. They had all of this stuff going on. They had great musicians. Worship was phenomenal. But they had left their first love. It wasn't about Jesus anymore. And the pastors and the leadership at Church of Ephesus would get together and they'd go, okay, how do we, how do we become better? What do we need to do? Strategically, we need to do this and let's put this program in place and let's do this and let's do this and let's have this guy do. And, and they'd have all kinds of talent and the church grew, Santos, but they had left their first love. And I think that's what a lot of people do. That value they once had on the Son of God is no longer there. That value, the time that they used to spend just being with Jesus. That time when you could feel him and you, he's talking to me. When you looked at a sunrise and you said, that's the Lord. He's speaking to me. That, That was just for me. That was just for me. As a matter of fact, that sort of happened to me today. I didn't know what to do. But, you know, um, the song um, from Lauren Daigle, help me out here. What is it? You say? I heard that like four times today. I was like, Lord, are you trying to say something to me? Like, I heard it early on, and then, and then in my quiet time, and then I heard it, and, and then it was in the, tr- when I got in my truck, and I heard it, and then just, and I was just like, and, and, and really it does speak to me. Because you know what he says, I am enough. And I was just like, Lord, are you, is that for me? Because if I hear it one time, I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, two times, but four times? Hmm. 
Guys, be careful you don't leave your first love. Be careful you don't. Because that's what the church of Ephesus did. What will happen is eventually you'll dry up. And then last week, guys, we talked about the suffering church. And that was Smyrna, the suffering church of Smyrna, and how they were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. Now, both of these cities were very rich. And Jesus commands both the churches. And if it says, he says one thing. And last week, we saw that Pastor Polycarp, if you will, was the pastor of Smyrna, right? Well, this evening, we're going to look at a church that actually compromised. It's the church of Pergamos. And if you have a pencil handy, you can jot this down, because Pergamos actually means questionable marriage. Questionable, that's what it means. Questionable marriage. Now, listen, guys, I get it. I understand there are times when we are so preoccupied with our lives. Okay? And let's just, this is real talk. There are times when work gets the best of us. And, and, and we're constantly at work, and it's about work, and got to make the payment, and you don't understand. I got a new vehicle, and I've got to do this, and, and, or maybe it's entertainment. We're preoccupied with entertainment, and, and, and school, and, and, and friends. So much so that we miss hearing God's voice. You see, the church at Ephesus, guys, was, was, was active church. But they had left their love for Jesus. The church of Smyrna was suffering, and it was a persecuted, but they stayed faithful. The church of Pergamos? Well, they're on a collision course. The problem, you ready, is compromise. Compromise. You go, Ben, what does that mean? Okay, guys, put on your thinking caps. In the church there at Pergamos, okay, the believers were trying to fit in with the world by tolerating certain things. The believers in the church of Pergamos were, again, compromising, compromising their walk. They're trying to fit in. Hey, listen, I don't want... I, you ready? You ready? Jot this down. They would say, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to... Oh, I don't want to offend you. I, I'm not... And, and their witness was now compromised. You can't be a light in the world if you look just like the world. That's exactly what Pergamos, you can't be a light if you look exactly like everybody else. We have to be so careful. Listen, I absolutely love my city. I love my city. But we have to be careful because if we're not careful, then a lot of people mistake Christianity for simply just being a good old Christian boy, good old, good old Texan boy, a good old just good values. I want people to know Jesus. I want people to know the reason behind that. Now, I know what you're thinking, because you go, well, what about compromise? Well, compromise is okay at times, right? It's okay. We have to learn to compromise in marriage. You have to learn to do that. But spiritual compromise is deadly. 
Spiritual compromise is deadly. It's important right now, church, to look at the application given to the church at Pergamos in the letter and the application that we can make in our own lives. Okay? So it's like the Lord is like, he's almost like revealing our own hearts. And it's like, oh, Lord, did I? Am I compromising? Well, in order to fully understand the church at Pergamos, we have to do some work. Okay? So let me do this. Let me give you some background. Let me set the stage, and then we'll jump into the text. Pergamos was about 50 miles north of Smyrna and about 15 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. Okay? It actually is the modern city, Bergama, there in Turkey right now. Okay? So it's still standing today. Well, why do you say that? Because Ephesus left their first love, and they're no longer a church. But Smyrna is still there. It's called Izmir there in Turkey, and this is Bergama. Well, what was going on? Well, in your mind, think about this. It was about a population like Lubbock. It was about 250,000 people living in Pergamos, okay? And the thing that just made, like, like if, if you were to say, what makes Lubbock, Texas famous, everybody would go Red Raiders, right? Everybody, because that's, that's really the, um, we, we have farming and we have cotton, but that's kind of the, that's just, oh, oh, Red Raiders. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, Texas Tech is there. In Pergamos, guys, what made them was this famous library. Over 200,000 volumes, these scrolls. You go, Ben, that's no big deal. That's a No, no, no. Listen, back then, okay, when you wrote a book, you didn't send it to a publisher so that they can make a bunch of copies. They didn't do that. If I wrote a book... And Yvonne wanted the book. Oh, I really like it. Can I get a copy? I'd have to write it over again. 200,000 were in this library. Okay? So you go, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. As a matter of fact, you guys know that the, the term parchment, where they wrote parchment paper, this actually comes from, it's derived from, from Pergamos, from the term Pergamos. It's parchment, because they had that. Pergamos, guys, think about this. It was also the glamour spot of Asia. Well, you go, like what? Well, in your mind, it would be like the Hollywood of Asia. Okay? Hollywood, man, where do we, we're going to California, where are we going? I want to see Hollywood, man. Maybe we'll run into a star. I mean, I'm, I want to see the sign on the hill. Hollywood, that's, I don't know if it has that appeal anymore, but it used to. Okay? And um, it, it wasn't known for any special commerce or any industry. But it still had a reputation for being glamour. Kind of like how, oh, London or Paris does. Oh, if we could just go see those. And that's what would, that's what people would think about Pergamos. That's what we do. I mean, I mean, in that day, Pergamos is where the rock stars would have hung out. I mean, that's where you wanted to go. Alex is, uh, Alex is our drummer, but if you wanted to see one of his famous drummers, I don't know who you like, but that's where you would go. Hey, you know what? You know where Neil Peart hangs out? He hangs out there at Pergamos. You know where Alex, uh, whatever drummer you like. I mean, that's kind of, that's the rock star, right? That's where you, uh, that, Mel, that's where you would want to go. That's where these guys were. All these famous celebrities, all of them. If you went to Pergamos, you would have probably Hard Rock Cafe Pergamos or Planet Pergamos. You guys get, you guys get the picture? 
This kind of image is what the place carried. It was the place to go. Okay? Now, think about this. You're like a young, you're, you're, you're a young family, okay? And you're taking the kids on vacation, okay? Maybe when they're little, you might go to Ephesus, might. But if you've got teenagers, guess where they want to go? Hey, we're going on vacation. Where do you go? Pergamos! That's the place to go. We're going to have fun. This is cool, man. Guys, it's equivalent to Tel Aviv there in Israel. Because you can go to Israel, and if you go to Jerusalem, you have old town Jerusalem. Very, very pious, very... mm. But you know the city that doesn't sleep? Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. They're out partying all night in Tel Aviv. That's the hot spot, man. That's where you want to go. City, city. This is Pergamos. You guys with me? That's kind of what's happening. Now, not only was it the coolest place to be, but it also was amazing. Why? Because right outside the city, you have this. Now, now again, you're going to have to use your imaginations, okay? Because we live in Lubbock, Santos. They have this mountain. I don't know if you guys, have you ever seen a mountain? Have you seen? You've seen a mountain? Yeah. And, and so behind this mountain, and I guess to me, if any of you have been to Tucson, that's kind of how I pictured it. Because they got these giant mountains kind of all surrounding, and that's Pergamos. And right on the mountain, guys, they had a temple erected to the god Zeus. Now, it wasn't just a small temple, guys. It wasn't, I want you to see this, okay? It stood 40 feet tall and 90 feet square. This could be seen from all over. And you go, well, why did they have that? Well, despite it being, despite it being glamour, it was also very religious, which blows my mind. But it was still, there's Zeus, there's Zeus. If you're taking note, guys, jot this down. This city was also famous for the worship of the god, you ready? Asclepius, okay? Asclepius. You go, what does that mean? Well, basically, it's known as the god of healing. You go, can you spell it? Let me just spell it for you because you're taking note. A-S-C-E-L-E-P-I-U-S. And it was the god of healing. Ben, why is that important? Well, the god of healing there in Pergamos was actually depicted as a snake. You go, what? People came from all over to be healed at the temple. Wow. So, if you were sick, Alex, you'd want to go to Pergamos. Oh, I, I just want to be healed. Where, let's just, if I could just get to Pergamos. It, it became the, the, the Henry Mayo Clinic of that area. People literally came from all over hoping for a chance to be healed. Okay? The symbol of the God, check this out, was a snake wrapped around a pole. Does that seem familiar to you today? Because that's exactly, the, that's the same thing. A snake around a pole is, is, is found in the medical, pool, the medical profession. It came from Pergamos. This is exactly where it was. It traces back to the God of Asclepius. Asclepius. Okay? Now, check this out. It gets even weirder. Why? 
they had a weird way of receiving healing. Like, it, it wasn't just like, oh, I just, I've made it. Can I be healed? It wasn't that. It was, check this out, guys. Check this out. When you went to the temple to be healed, here's how it, here's how it went down. First, you crawled down these dark corridors. Okay? And in these corridors, there were holes in the wall. Okay? And you would hear, you're getting better. You're getting better. You're getting better. And you're crawling and you're hearing this. You're going to be okay. You're getting better. Right? Amanda had the flu two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. It would be like, okay, she went to Pergamos and we'd be like, you don't have the flu. You're getting better. That's, that's what she would go for. And she'd go, oh, yes, I do. But, but anyways, it's, that's kind of how, how it was. And, and here's what it was. Now, now, check it out, guys. It was kind of a mind over matter kind of a deal, kind of that positive thinking, right? Religion took that and, and, and started saying, um, your words have power. Don't, don't talk like that. Are you sick? You're not sick. Don't claim that, brother. The problem is, is you're sick. And you got, you got your nose stuffed up, stepped up. You got your eyes bulging out to here. You got a headache. Don't say you're sick. But I'm sick. Don't say it. Your words have, but you, you see how, you see how we can take something and just, we gotta be careful. Let me tell you this. My God's word has power. Now I want to agree with what he says, but we gotta be careful. So, so there's, there's Amanda. <clears throat> She's crawling through. Amanda, you're getting better. No, I'm not. Okay, so here's what we do. Check it out. Check it out. This would be, so Amanda, so Amanda, how are you feeling? I'm still sick. Well, when she would reach the center of the temple, we'd say, okay, Amanda, if you're not better, guess what? You have to spend the night and you have to sleep on that cold stone floor. You want to get better, don't you? And it would be total pitch, pitch, pitch black. Again, this, guess what they would do? Then they would let the snakes loose. Right? Because you guys remember. Now, these snakes weren't poisonous, but now you would be sleeping with a bunch of snakes. There you are. Listen, I don't know if I, I'm better. <laughs> I'm better. I feel great. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Now, again, they weren't poisonous, but guys, who wants to sleep with a bunch of snakes? Now, don't elbow your husband and say, I do every night. That's all I'm talking about, okay? But what would happen is, here's their belief. If a snake crawled over you, it meant that Eclepius was having mercy on you to touch you and to heal you. So you're totally pitch black. You're laying on the floor, and you could feel it crawl. You, oh, I'm going to be healed. Let God, let God. Now, I think if he didn't, it was probably a lot easier to live with your illness, right? Because you said, I'm not going to go through that again. I am not going through that again. That was one of the temples. But they also worshipped, guys. Pergamos also had another temple. Okay, although they were the 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 party town of the world, they're also religious, and they had a temple to the god of Diocinus. Diocinus, you go, what is that? Check this out. This is the god of wine, the god of wine. You go, what do you mean? 
He was portrayed, this is the God of wine. You ready? Jot this down. He was portrayed as a half man, half goat. And he had horns coming out of his head. And many believe he depicts the modern concept of Satan. So they worship the God of wine, which look like Satan. You got horns, half man, half goat. Very interesting. Very interesting. You go, Ben, what did we learn from this? We learned that Pergamos, guys, was a wicked place. Now, remember, there's a church there. There's a church there. It was a place of glamour. It was a place where you had vacation. But what comes with it was a great deal of immorality. Immorality. It was a place of rampant idolatry. In fact, notice in your Bibles, guys, how Jesus describes it in verse 13. He says, I know your works where you dwell. Do you guys see that word dwell? Circle that word for dwell because it doesn't mean that you're just passing through. This is kind of where you're hanging out. This word actually means this is where you're staying. This is where you're building your home. You're not moving. This is home. Boom. He says, this is where you dwell. You're not going anywhere. And then he says this, where Satan's throne is. I mean, can you imagine the pastor getting that letter? It's like, man, I built my church where Satan's throne is. What? 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 If you're not afraid to write in your Bible, guys, go ahead and underline that, where Satan's throne is. And you go, why? I think there's a great observation that we can learn from this. And you go, what's that? I think it's important for us to remember that Satan's throne is not in hell, right? You go, yeah, 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 that that makes sense. I mean, think about it. Would you hang out in hell? I'm sure Satan doesn't spend a whole lot of time there. Why? Because he works hard on getting people to hell, but that's not where his throne is. Just kind of keep that in mind. You see, Satan, guys, is called the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. You guys need to understand this. It's the prince of the power of the air, okay? Later on in Revelation, this is just a, this is just a side thing. Later on in Revelation, we're going to see John look, and he says the beast is going to be rising out of the sea, okay? And... We, we're, we're, we'll break that down, but think about it. I want you to think about it in today's context, okay? It used to be where evil sort of lurked behind certain things, kind of disguised itself, if you will. Not anymore. The evil we're seeing every day it comes from media. It comes from, it's, it's blatant. I'm not going to apologize for that because I know exactly what we see. And I know that the Bible says that he is the God of this world. Which makes my heart leap out of my chest, begging people to come to Jesus. And saying, this is not the time to be messing around. And and this is not the time to be kind of, this is not the time to be the lukewarm church, guys. I'm telling you why. Because the God of this world is showing its head. It's showing its head in every aspect that you see. And I love what you and I do. Listen, if you are on Facebook, keep posting as much as you can. Bible scriptures, encouragement. Well, 
But, but, but Facebook, I mean, I mean you, you, you know Facebook. Now, no, listen, I'm going to go fishing where the people are. I'm going to go fishing where the fish are. Until they tell me I can't do that anymore. Guys, keep on. Keep on. I love it when you post good stuff and encouraging stuff. Why? Because other people are seeing it and you're, you're lifting them up. Be careful that we go, I'm going to just, I'm just going to quit that. Don't quit it. Keep, keep encouraging people. Keep encouraging people. Why? Because it says that Satan is also, you guys ready? The prince of the power of the air. What does that mean? Everything, guys, in the air, airwaves. What is airwaves? Radio, media, internet, everything. He's, he's, he's the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible says, my Jesus said, he is the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning and he's the... So, he, so this is the only thing that's true. We can count on this. So if when you go, man, I don't know what's real or, or fake anymore. I don't know. I keep getting all of these messages and this is going to happen. This Stick to the word of God. Hang on here. It can be very fresh. It can be very frustrating. But I got to say, this is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord said. When people go on YouTube and they start saying, well, let me see. I've had a dream and I did this and I did this and the prophetically and this and that. Stick to the word of God. He's told us what's going to happen. Do you know what's going to happen? He's told us. As a matter of fact, guys, think about this. I, I want to do a teaching, not tonight because you, you'll look at me funny. I want to do a teaching called When Your Faith Becomes Sight. Right? Now, I've done that before, but I've called that when you die, your faith actually becomes sight because now all of a sudden you see Jesus face to face because you're a Christian. But I'm telling you, your faith is becoming sight when you see everything you believed in, you see it coming to pass. You see it in the word. You go, oh, wait a minute, Ezekiel 38 and 39. I didn't know they were sitting up over there. I didn't know, I didn't know Russia and China and Iran were all buddies. I didn't even know Turkey was involved. What are they? They're all in cahoots now. Exactly. When your faith becomes sight, you guys can go, wow. But here's what it does. When your faith becomes sight just a little bit in this tonight, then the rest of it, guys, the rest of it you can stand upon. When Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and you confess him with you, you'll be saved. Go, God, your word is true. Your word is true. I'm trusting in you. Everything you said is true. Everything you say. He wrote, he wrote a letter. He wrote a letter. He wrote a letter. He wrote a letter to who? To, to Pergamos. He's trying to warn them. Compromised. Guys, remember what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us? Do you remember? It says, don't be conformed to this world. Let me give you the Phillips translation. It says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Am, am I getting anybody? Do you, under, do you understand what's happening? The world is trying to squeeze you into thinking, Santos, believing, that's the world. Oh, every time I turn on the TV, it's going to do this. Oh, it's trying to squeeze you. And, and the Bible says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. The idea is that there's a world system run by Satan contrary to God. And Satan is the God of this world, and he has influenced so many. 
So many of our culture, you go like, well, like what? Media, I've already mentioned that. Education. Education, everybody with me? Why? Well, when I went to school, I didn't get a laptop. I had Big Chief and pencils. Okay, that was that was it. But but the point is, is now all of a sudden it's it's changing a little bit, right? It's changing. I don't know what. I don't know how. Well, okay, I'll let you run with that. He's influencing science. He's influencing music. He's influencing art, sports. Is he not influencing sports? Our professional team. Now, listen. Let me just let me. Can I can I go off on a tangent for just a second? We watch sports to be entertained. We, that's that's it. We 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 like to watch a. Who doesn't like to watch a good football game? Okay. I like to watch football with Soph, especially if we're in opposite time, because we just again. He goes and he, I love watching football with Soph. It's so cool, but it's for entertainment. But when they start becoming political and they start becoming all of this stuff, it just breaks my heart. Because I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch that. It's being influenced. Satan, guys, even sets up several headquarters in, so to speak, cities where his influence is really seen. And I can tell you, Santa Fe is one of them. It's one of them. You can feel the spiritual oppression when you go in. That's my hometown. I love my hometown. But you can feel the spiritual oppression. You can feel all of that. You can feel all of that. Pergamos, guys, the point I'm telling you this is Pergamos was that kind of dark place, man, dark, demonic, satanic influence. Now, consider their place in church history because it gives us insight into their problem. You go, what's that? Noted that each church represents an aspect of church history given insight to the period of time that represents his names, right? Early church was Ephesus, then, then Smyrna. Okay, well, again, Ephesus, guys, it means darling. And it's represented basically in the infant state. It's when the apostles came out. It's Ephesus. Oh, Jesus. And then, um, well, like many a marriage, it slipped into a routine. And it lost its passion. And it's left his first love. You see, Ephesus was married to the ministry, not to the master. The, check in, the second church, guys, was, was its name means, Smyrna means myrrh. And it's a fragrance delivered through crushing, the suffering church. And the period that, um, where Satan sought to crush the church, okay, so the church is born, oh, it's amazing, but all of a sudden Satan's like, no, I've got him on the ropes. And what does it do? It started about, well, if you're taking note, um, it started and it lasted about three centuries, okay, it lasted about 300 years. It started with Nero about 65 AD, and it ended with Diocletian about 313. So for about 300, a little over 200 years, it, right? And we noted, and, 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 and nobody talks about this, but we noted that there were six million Christians that were martyred for their faith. Let that sink into your heart. Could you imagine? Are you a Christian? Yes, sir. 
Do you love Jesus? Yes, sir, follow me. Can you imagine if we're sitting in here and we're having a Bible study and all of a sudden, boom, the doors fly open and, and people come in here in trench coats and, and machine guns and all this stuff and they say, hey, how many of you love Jesus? And you're like, man, we love Jesus. Well, out those doors, there's 10 crosses out there. Do you really love Jesus? Now listen, all you have to do is say no. Just say no. And you can go home. Go back to your life. Go to work tomorrow. You say yes, we're going to nail you to that cross. Now listen. So if I don't know, Yvonne, I don't know if you feel this way, but we've, we've lived, and, and I go, okay, I'm ready to go home anytime. But I start thinking about our children, and I start think, thinking about my grandchildren, and I'm like, and so would we? Would we say yes to Jesus? Would we say yes, I'm ready? That's, that's what happened. That's, that's where Satan tried to crush the church in Smyrna. The problem was, is the more they were persecuted, the more it strengthened the church. You see, you didn't want to be a Christian unless you really meant it. You weren't going to church at Smyrna because you were trying to network your business. You didn't want to come to church because you thought, hey, people are going to see me. You didn't want to come to church because you could, you could just um, share your talent with the world. You knew that if you gave your life to Jesus, it could mean death for you. You knew that. And you said yes. And every day you took a chance. Six million. Well, guess what? That didn't work because the, the, the church strengthened. Satan was mad. So what did he do? Instead of pushing through the front door, guess what he did? He said, if I can't beat him, I'm going to join him. You go, what do you mean? That's exactly what happened. He joined the church at Pergamos. What does the name mean? It means marriage. Guess what he did? He said, oh, 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 I can't beat him. They're getting strong. The more I persecute them, the more I squish them, the more people come to Jesus. Oh, I got an idea. How about I marry them? That's Pergamos. That's, that's Pergamos. Pergamos represents a time when the church became married to the world. Now, here's what happened. After Diocletian, a man by the name of Constantine, you guys remember that name, Constantine, he came into power. He was motivated by a vision he had. Okay? He had this vision. He saw this cross in the sky, and he heard a voice that said, conquer in this sign, Constantine. And he said, what? And, he, and it, 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 it tripped him out so bad that what he decided was that point was Christianity had to become the religion of the state. You see, Santos, when he said conquer in the sign, he actually had a victory, and he said, wow, this is what we're going to do. Everybody's going to become a Christian now, whether you like it or not. You understand? And, and, and so all of a sudden, Constantine says, okay. So the church 
went from being the most despised thing to the kingdom of the most popular. People that were hiding out in caves were suddenly the most popular in the kingdom. Why? Because Constantine said, now, this is, the, this is, this is it. The state's going to marry the church. And we go, Amanda, you're a Christian? I didn't know that. And all of a sudden, everybody wants to be Amanda's friend. Why? Well, guess what? That's what's going on. That's what's going on. The Christian leaders who were put into prisons and pow- put into prison are now are power of prominence now. Everything's changing faster than you can imagine. They were invited to watch the baptisms of entire regiments of soldiers in Constantine's army. You gotta see this. It was during a time that the church became married to the world. Isn't that trippy? And all those who previously involved in idolatry, immorality, can't, oh, oh, this is good, this is good. All those that were walking in, in, in idolatry, in immorality, came to join the church, but they didn't come the way of Jesus. There wasn't any transformation from the inside out. <sighs> wow. Why would they come, Becky? Why would they come? Let me tell you why. Because they wanted to avoid death. They wanted to avoid death. They brought all of their pagan practices, okay? Everything they grew up doing. All of this, all this, I mean, think about this. The God of wine, the God of healing, all of the pagan practices, they brought them into the church and it became very corrupted and very carnal. Big fancy word, it's called syncretism. Syncretism. So you take everything that you've learned, everything that you grew up in, and you go, oh, well, Jesus is just part of that, but I still do this. Oh, Jesus has a little of my heart, but we still worship here. Or Jesus, right? That's exactly what he's talking about, guys. Compromise. It's been said that power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. And this is exactly what happened in the reign of Constantine. The church now, guess what? We went from from 10, 11, 12, 13 people in church, Constantine, the government, Roman, now it's official, to capacity, full capacity, multiple services. The problem is, is that the pastor's pulling out his hair. Why? Because he doesn't know who's a real Christian and who's just in there because they want to avoid death. And yet they're bringing in all of their garbage to church. Every church is, every, every seat is filled four, five, six times over. You understand. But what's he doing? What's he, what's he saying? The problem with Pergamos, you ready? Jot this down. It was it became married to the world. And it resulted in compromise and carnality. And here's the problem, guys. The problem is that it can affect us the same way as individual believers. What do you mean? Well, here's what my Jesus said. My Jesus said that we are to be in the world, 
but not of the world. And this is why Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 6.14, we just studied this, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why? For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, God says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's a good place for an amen. That's what he says. Guys, he says, he says, he says that we can, like Pergamos, compromise our individual walks. Am I preaching to anybody? You know what I'm talking about? We can do it. We can do it. Why? Because we go, man, we, listen, listen, Alex, I still love Jesus. I still, I still, I, th- I think I love Jesus, but I'm going to, I'm going to do this and, and I'm going to do that and I'm going to allow this in my life and I'm going to allow I wonder what we're compromising. Is our walks as individual believers, are, they, are we married to the world? In other words, do people look at us and go, man, you're different. You're like totally different. Oftentimes I feel like the church at Ephesus, you guys know what I'm talking about? When I first got saved, I would tell everybody about Jesus. I know my calling is to be an evangelist, and I know my calling is to tell people about Jesus, and I used to witness to everyone. God would give me the boldness, but as I grew older and older and older and older and older, and, 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 and even when I knew the word more, it seems like, well, I, don't, I have to be careful how to do this, and I would find myself not sharing the word. In my little life, guys, there was, a, there was a co-worker that I had. I remember working at the grocery store. I was in the produce department, and he worked in the, in the deli. And, and we were friends, same age, everything. And, and I knew I needed to tell him about Jesus, and I'm pretty sure, I mean, I tried to, but he had his own religion and, and everything else. But long, long story short, I knew I needed to tell him about Jesus. I should have told him about Jesus until we got the word that, that he had died. He was my age. Just a little over 21. I don't know what happened to him. Some people say that somebody killed him. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't know the whole story. Even to this day, it freaks me out. But I know I don't want to compromise that anymore. I don't want to compromise that anymore. And even if my friends go, Ben, will you stop talking about that? I'd rather go, listen, I, I've told you, and if you tell me to shut up, I'll shut up, but, but I'm, I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. Okay, let's jump into our text, verse 12. He says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos, these things says he who is what? 
who has the sharp two-edged sword. So the first thing we see is that there's the angel. You guys know what that means, right? Either the pastor or the messenger. So he says, okay, to the messenger. And I often wonder, can you imagine, I'll go to... You go open the mailbox and there's a letter from God. Okay, to the, to the pastor of the church at Calvary Chapel. Oh, oh, you know, that's, that, that's where he's going. Okay, and he says, who's it from? Check this out. It's from he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Now, picture this, the two-edged sword, okay? Now, the first thing we need to understand is the two-edged sword, God, is it represents the written word of God. The written word of God. You guys with me? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You guys tracking? Okay. So here's, he's just, he's claiming Jesus is the written word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit and of the joints and, and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, you guys with me? So he says, this is who I am. The church at Pergamos used to, basically, it was also the capital of Rome. And because it was the capital, it also instituted capital punishment. It was the only place that did that. You want to give me a guess on how they would kill people? With the sword. With the sword. And so I tell you this because when you look at church history and you realize all this puts together, you go, man, couldn't have wrote this? How did John know that Pergamos, I mean, the whole thing, it's, 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 it's just mind-blowing. But really, here's the observation. You ready? The church was having problems doing what? Adhering to the doctrine, the teaching of Jesus Christ. They had the word. Uh, uh, said, uh, I know what it says. I had one. One girl told me that her and God had a special agreement. Her and God had a special agreement. No, you don't. It's the word of God. No, no, no. See, I, I, I know his word, but him and I, we got an understanding. We tight. We, no. No. That's, 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 that, that's their problem, guys. Their problem was with the truth. And Jesus comes with an ultimate standard of truth. It's the word of God. Guys, pastors need to be preaching the truth. Pastors need to be preaching the truth. Verse 13. He says, I know your works. I know where you dwell. You guys know that word. Where Satan's throne is. He says, and guys, you hold fast to my name. And he says, and you didn't deny my faith even when the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, I find it interesting that before Jesus judges these guys, he commends them. You go, he goes, man, he goes, man. I love the way the Lord deals with people, guys. He's not afraid to say, hey, you need a change. But if there's anything good found in his people, he loves to say, you're doing well too. You're doing well. 
Now, remember, before he pulls out the two-edged sword, he loves on them. He loves on them. And I think, guys, this is just a great application to take home. Why? Because Scripture makes it clear that we're to stand and deal with one another when we're in sin. And here, Jesus commends them for their faith and holding on. Hey, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. You're doing great. I think it's a great application for us. Whenever dealing with people, find, find their, 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 their positives and their strengths. Man, you're doing great here. And don't use the word but, you know? Because but always negates the first part of what they said. Mel, you're just such an awesome blunt, da, 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 da. But Mel didn't hear anything that I said before that because he's worried about the change. And so we say, Mel, you know what? Listen, you are faithful. You are amazing. You've got a great personality. And the area of improvement you need to work, that's what Jesus does. I think that goes a long way. I think that goes a long way. Notice he mentions a fellow by the name of Antipas right here. Antipas stands out as representing the faithfulness of Jesus, man. And uh, guess what? His name means against all. That's what his name means. And again, it, it seems like this man stood against all that was evil there. Okay? All that was untrue, even to the point of death. Some, some commentaries actually believe that Antipas was the pastor there in Pergamos. Oh, that would have been interesting. That would have been interesting. You go, well, what's the application? Here it is. In his day, Antipas was really a nobody. You guys with me? Just a face in the crowd. Not known by many, but he was known by the Lord. That's what I love. As you guys go through school and, and work, and pe- people might not even ask, just, you're just another employee, you're just another number, but you know what? To the Lord, he knows your name. You can go to bed tonight going, he knows, he, he, he knows my name. Listen, I think it's noteworthy that if you want a reputation with anybody, have one with God. Don't worry about what people think. Don't worry about what people think. You have a reputation with God. Well, I think another observation we can look at here, guys, is he calls Antipas my faithful witness. The word witness in the Greek is martis, in which we get the English word martyr. You guys with me? So he says, you're my faithful witness. And I think there's some key insight. Long before Pastor Antipas laid down his life as a martyr, he was a witness. He was a witness. He was sharing the love of Jesus everywhere. Now, check this out. You can be a martyr without being martyred. But you'll never be martyred without being a martyr. It goes on verse 14. He says, I have a few things against you because you have those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and eat things sacrificed to idols, commit sexual immorality. Thus you also hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, guys, get your pencil handy. I want you to circle the word for Balaam. Circle that word Balaam. You can write next to it right here. It means rule, ruler over the people, ruled over. That's what it means. But the Nicolaitans also means ruler over the people. So they tie both of these in. So you have Balaam, who's ruling over the people, and you have the Nicolaitans that are rulers over the people. So he ties both of them in. But what are they doing? What are they doing? 
Well, again, it's an interesting teaching. Do you guys remember what was going on? Okay, here's what he says. He says, guys, I have this against you. You guys are following the teaching of Balaam. And you're eating stuff sacrificed to idol and sexual immorality. And, and, and not only that, he says not only that, but, but you also hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, ruler of the people. Guys, you're not following my word. You compromised. And because you're compromising their syncretism, you're saying, okay, I'll, I love you, Jesus, but I'm going to follow Balaam. And, and boy, oh, sexual immorality is great. We can do it because me and God, we have an agreement. Oh, but, but we can also be ruled over by... And he's saying all of this stuff. And if you want to know the story of Balaam and Balak, go to Numbers chapter 22. For the sake of time, we don't have the time to go through it, but, but you guys know what happened. Balaam, man, his doctrine, Balaam, was summarized by the Lord in three parts. You go, what were they? First, they were characterized by wisdom of the world. Okay? That's what it was. We're told that he taught Balak. If you corrupt them, God will correct them. Second thing, guys, is that it's characterized by the worship of the world. He taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed. Go ahead and eat those things. It's fine. It's fine. A little bit of compromise. It's okay. God's not mad at you. Come on. It's all right. Little compromise. We use it under a religious term these days. We call it, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace to do these things. That's okay. Just a little. No, no, no. This is, and it's characterized by the wickedness of the world to commit sexual immorality. The church of Pergamos had become corrupt and seeking to fit in and be accepted and had allowed compromise and carnality, carnality in the mix. Think about this. Think about this. Remember when Paul... He actually called out. He said, listen, I, I'm hearing in the Corinthian church, I'm hearing that there's a, there's a guy sleeping with, his, with his, his stepmom or his mother-in-law, and the elders and the leaders are okay with that? No, 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 no. He calls them out because he knows that compromise. He says, no, no, you guys are, and that's what he's saying. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. And he's saying, this is what you're doing, guys. You're, you're bringing into your church, eating things, sacrificing, committing sexual immorality. And, and he talks about food offered to idols. And then he says, and not only that, but you're, you guys are adhering to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And we talked about the Nicolaitans back in verse 6. We know that Nicolaitans is derived by two words. You guys remember? Nico, to conquer, Laos, the people, to conquer the people, ruler of the people. And basically, the Nicolaitans acted like, you ready? Here it goes, like the government to rule you. But it even goes a step further. It wasn't the government. You know what it was? It was actually pastors, leaders that wanted to rule the people. You guys should be doing what I say. So it actually, it actually elevated, you guys got to get this, it actually elevated one person that overruled what people and how people should worship. The Nicolaitans. He's going, no, 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 no. Because see, Christianity is God-centered only. 
It's God-centered. It's Jesus-centered. Our hearts should belong to Jesus. We should be serving Jesus. We should be in love with Jesus. He says, or else I'll come to you and I'll quickly and I'll fight against them with the sword of my mouth. We'll fight. Polymo means to be engaged in warfare. That's what he means, to fight. Now, here's the application. If we compromise, if we compromise, if we compromise in our walks, guys, in the area of our walk and we don't repent, Jesus says, man, I'm going to make war with us. I have a feeling that's not good. Jesus will make war with the word. He'll make war with the word of God, his two-edged sword. That's what he's going to do. Last verse. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives. Now, first and foremost, if you're taking note, guys, the hidden manna is an idiom for Jesus. Okay? He's going to give you more of the word. Special knowledge of him, as you most know, his providence. The message of manna is that the church is to overcome the tolerance of false teaching. Guys, we need to know the word so well that when you hear false teaching, you go, that's not right. That's not right. No, no. We don't judge and we don't we don't make, but we just go, mm, mm, that guy that guy doesn't seem like he knows like he doesn't know the word. Because you know the word. That's the hidden manna. The second thing he says, I'm gonna give you a white stone. You know what that means? Whenever you were given a white stone, it was a stone of acquittal. And it speaks of signifying approval. He says, Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the stone of you I approve of you. I approve of you. And then he says, third, a name written which no one knows, a sign and a testimony of a new life and righteousness and true holiness by putting on the new man whom no one knows, who no one inwardly knows, but the spirit of man which is in him, which is not praised by men, but by God. You get a new name. Let's close with this, guys. The Lord hates perverted doctrines like the false teachings of grace by the Nicolaitans. If you have left your wholehearted devotion, man, if you've left your wholehearted devotion to Jesus, he compels you to repent immediately before the insidious lie quietly but surely renders you spiritually dead. That's the church of Pergamos. This is the one they got. Guys, get, he's telling us right here, wake up, wake up. Father, we thank you for your word tonight in the truth, God. All that we learned, God. We learned so much. We thank you for the church. We thank you, God, that we can just, um, just learn. We thank you for your Holy Spirit.
Father, I began our message, God, with the, with, with the fact that I prayed that nobody, nobody would be left behind. And that, Lord, there are some right now, God, whose walks they've compromised. They're allowing a little bit of the world and a little bit of all this to get in and, 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 and tarnish their walk with you. And right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, there's that beautiful conviction to where we say, Lord, forgive us. I need to make some things right. I need to get rid of this in my life. I need to get rid of that in my life. Father, may it always and only be Jesus. And as we pray and every eyes closed, maybe some of you watching online, maybe some of you listening via podcast, you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. And he's knocking on the heart. He's knocking on the door right now of your heart. And he says, I want to come inside. I want to be your God. I want to save you. And I'm asking you right now, I'm inviting you into the family of God. All you have to do is give your life to him. All you have to do is surrender your life. In the book of Romans, it says, if you will confess and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. And so I'm asking you right now, would you do that? Would you do that? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I believe that you are God. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you resurrected and are sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for me right now. But I also know this, Lord, based upon the world, I know you're coming back for me soon. And so I'm asking you to save me right now. I don't want to be left behind. I don't want to be left here alone. I want to go home with you, Jesus. So I open up my heart. I invite you inside. And I'm asking you to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my Savior, to be my friend. I choose this day to follow you, Jesus. Lord, I love you. If you pray that prayer, man, I want to know about it. I want to encourage you. I want to give you a Bible. I want to, I want to help you as best I can. Man, listen, if you're watching online or just call us at the church, you can call us at 806-799-2227 and just say, man, I, I heard you on podcast or I was watching you online and I gave my life to Jesus and I just rejoice with you. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we prepare our hearts for next week when we see another church. It's the church of Thyatira. Prepare our hearts for that. We love you, Lord. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.